Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health and education. And we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Here's what's coming up. We can be guilty in early years of giving parents false messages. Has he been saying, oh, yes, I'm fine? How is that useful? Because actually, that child has not been fine. If there has been some challenging things happening, then the parents need to know. Let's jump in to this week's episode. I am very excited that we're getting to do a catch up again. It's been a little while since we've had the chance to chat and who we are, but just in case there are people listening to this podcast who did not get to listen to the last episode that we did, can you tell us who you are and a little bit about you? Of course, yeah. So absolutely privileged to be back. So I'm Lucy Lewin. I'm the founder of a 85 place day nursery as well as the Profitable Nursery Academy. So I have the privilege to be an owner of a day nursery now for 13 years. My goodness me. But I also work through the Profitable Nursery Academy, supporting other nursery owners, managers and childminders, kind of through the lens of I made all the mistakes in the world, Dawn, as we've spoken about before. So I've done the hard work. What I'd like to share is the lessons that I've learned in a hope that just one person doesn't have to make a mistake and can actually fall back in love with the amazing sector that we find ourselves working in. That's really exciting. And recently you've written a book. Is that right? Oh, yes, I did. You know what? It was kind of the musings, you know, like the things that go through my mind all the time. I'm a huge advocate for a strengths-based approach. And what I mean by that is working with the things that we're naturally talentedly good at. I really believe that that's really unlocking human potential. We work in an industry, in a sector that is hugely draining, I suppose is the easiest word to understand, on our emotions, our well-being, physically. And for me, having the opportunity to do what you do innately well, what you are naturally talented to do and bringing up and showing up with that every single day is far more enlightening, I believe, than turning up every day and having to go against your innate talent. So yeah, I just think what an amazing place it would be if we could all start doing things from naturally what we're good at. That's exciting. So how do you facilitate that in an environment which is, by its very nature, chaos? <laughs> well, you find the strengths that you've got in that chaos. Um, that's a really good question. I think for me, first of all, it's your journey of self-discovery. So it's really understanding what is it about me that I that I do, that I love? What what am I doing when time escapes me, when I could sit and just find so much pleasure and joy? from what it is I'm doing. You know, it's been fascinating to watch other people as well go on this journey with me. And it can be down to interesting things. So a great story is around two people that work for me and one had really bad dermatitis on her hands and the other one randomly had a really bad gag reflex. So one hated doing nappies and one hated washing up, yet because they were team players and they thought they were doing the right thing, There they are, gagging away and making their hands red raw. 
And it was only when we had this conversation around, tell me what you love. And the one with the sore hands, Emma, she turned to me and she said, you know, I actually love that time that you get in the nappy changing area where you're kind of, you're not rushing, you are involved and deeply connecting with a child at a time where that child might feel vulnerable. But you're there as that comfort, that safe space, you know, talking to them, eye contact, really enjoying that moment. And I remember her explaining it just like that and watching the look on the other girl's face like, oh, my word. No, it's like the worst thing in the world. Like, I'm gagging. I'm trying to smile at them. And, and, and like, so the two of them had that. And then that's when I said, turned to them and said, well, come on, tell me something you hate. She went, well, you know, whilst I don't mind changing nappies, she said, oh my God, hand washing, even with a pair of marigolds on. She said, my hands are sore. I go home, I'm trying to put all this cream on. They're throbbing, they're cracking. And the girl with the gag reflex is like, I love washing up. Do you not get that real sense of seeing all that mess there on the side and then doing your little thing in the middle and then watching it all like shine on the other side? And she was like, no, I'm just sitting there thinking, ah, oh, this hurts. And I know that sounds so simplistic, Dawn, but what a revelation. You know, now I've got a team of people who are excited to engage in a care routine like changing nappies because they see that as a beautiful adult-led situation or activity. And my dishes have never been cleaner. <laughs> so for me, that's what a strength based early years setting can become. It's having everybody understanding that whilst we can all do everything, and if we needed to do everything, we would, but what difference does it make if everybody was working to their strengths? Yeah, another analogy around observation. I've got two team members now that I've put together, and I've put them together purposely because one can talk and one can write. So the net result is coming out of that room is some really good interactions and pedagogical handovers with parents, the talker, yet some really good, useful observations, not record records, observations that are purposeful and impactful on the children. But the one that can't write isn't writing, and the one that shies away a little bit from parents isn't out of always being thrust upon that situation they're working to their strengths yeah and you said earlier on about um people feeling like they have to do all of the things and almost I suppose prove they can do it and I sort of resonate with that a bit because I think especially coming from a working class background you often feel like you have to prove you're good at things before people will take you seriously and there's that real fear sometimes of going I hate doing this like it's not that I can't do it. I just hate it. I, I, I feel like I'm struggling and I push through it. How do you get people to open up about that stuff that they hate doing if they're not necessarily the most confident person in the world? And that is the bit in all of this that actually takes the time. And actually, Dawn, it takes courage. So this has to come from the top down. First of all, in order to create a truly empowering strengths-based environment, the culture has to be right. So you really have to embed that culture of psychological safety. You have to be radically candid with every interaction that you have with everybody. 
And what I mean by that is you have to care personally enough to challenge people directly. This isn't kind of a group of cheerleaders going around, you know, constantly oblivious to all of the bad things that are happening, you know, marching on their positivity kind of march. This is a group of people who are committed to each other. They are on a journey of getting it right, not being right, and actually understanding that if I say my strength is this, then that's not me saying I'm unprepared to work as a team. And actually, the system that you need as a leader in all of that is a really open and honest performance reviewing culture. Because what you cannot have is people that are not performing or that don't understand what is expected of them. There's that saying in the military, isn't it, that if you walk past something that is below standard and you let it happen, you've just created a new standard. It is that becoming confident in the uncomfortable feeling of growth. On the inside, when you are living it, it's messy. Like, you know, you said, like, how do you do that in an environment that is chaotic? You have to be present. You know, you have to really not focus, not be in a rush to get to the next thing and truly and honestly understand and believe that what you're doing is for the greater good. And it's not easy, you know, like I said, this is not this kind of Zen place where you're walking and everybody is kind of, you know, at one with their inner self. You know, it's quite the opposite. This is an environment where people are are vulnerable in a way that they are turning up their most authentic self. I've underpinned it with my well-being strategy in that we really spoke in depth about if you're coming in you're only at 90% for a day share that with your team if you're getting below 70% of your whole self I'm going to ask you to take some time off I'm not saying you can't work I'm just saying that in order for you to show up the best version of yourself you need to go home and recharge go walk in nature go read a book take a couple of days off go and do something that you love and then come back when you're ready. Now, that might sound crazy in this kind of recruitment, retention, staffing crisis that we're being told to believe that we live in. But actually, I believe in having that real proactive attitude towards supporting the team's well-being. And it's all interlinked, isn't it? You know, if you're turning up every day and you've got an opportunity to work in your strengths, you're going to go home feeling fulfilled. You're going to go home feeling like you've had a good day. And actually, then what happens is those days where you've maybe had to come out of your strengths and do some of the things that you're not innately good at because for whatever reason, it's okay because you know that that's not going to be the same tomorrow. And even if it is the same tomorrow, it might it's not going to always be like that. And I think it it comes down to communicate, 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 having that understanding that if I'm okay, you're okay. And again, this comes from management down. What I often see are managers who are frazzled because what they believe is the right thing to do in their role is to take their team's bag of worries. You know, literally they go, oh, I've got an open door. Please come in. Dump it all on my desk. Leave it there. Oh, you've got a problem. Pop it there. Add it to the rest. Oh, and they become like baggage handlers, don't they? You know, and all of a sudden they're in their office and you can't see them for this metaphorical huge pile of everybody else's worries. What do they then do with them? You know, they've then got an option of they've either got to sit and solve everybody else's problem or it all festers. And then when it festers, that's when those real big problems come. That's when morale dips. That's when it becomes a really negative culture, a negative workplace. And I think it's never usually the result of intention. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that idea that if 
if if if people who like have that you know like i'm one of those people who likes to think that if people have a problem they can come and talk to us about it if they need to that you've got to have the space to do something with it because if someone comes to you and they tell you their problems and then nothing happens because you're trying to balance all of the things they're never going to come to you again because they don't believe that you can help them then what's the solution what do they do with that problem then because you haven't been able to solve it or you haven't bothered solving it because you've had to deal with all of those other things that are on your plate. So what? where do they go? What do they do with it? Do they just become demoralised and leave? And they do, and that's that whole quiet quitting, isn't it? They think to themselves, well, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And like you say, they don't speak out, maybe because they feel embarrassed that they spoke out and nothing happened. Because rather than them thinking, oh, hold on a minute, Perhaps manager was super busy and had lots of other things on their mind. It's natural to be a little bit more egotistical and think they didn't want to help me. I'm not worth it. I'm not valuable. I'm not important. When I would imagine in the majority of cases, it was the polar opposite. I'd imagine that the manager is also sitting at home saying, oh my goodness, that got in the way and I couldn't help. And now, like you said, you've now got two people who will not come back together for fear of putting out the other one or putting on the other one. Whereas what's more effective is to, number one, as a manager, don't have an open door policy. It's okay to say, I've got work too, but have a system in place that facilitates where those good quality conversations can happen. And actually saying to people right at the very beginning of that conversation, what role would you like me to play? Do you want me to listen? Or do you want me to help you find a solution? Because sometimes, Dawn, we just need to vent. I have a rule, right? Every meeting that we have, we're allowed five minutes at the beginning to kind of chew the fat. That's five minutes when we can wallow in the state of the nation. And then for the remainder of the meeting, we're solution focused. I actually created this thing called the solution finder process. And it's about empowering people to think about what solutions might be. And actually, sometimes that journey is a self-discovery journey and they go off with the framework. They work out a solution. They have to give them three. They work out which one best fits on their own. And it's amazing. Other times that needs input from that more knowledgeable other. And that can come from somebody, you know, their team manager, their line manager, somebody even maybe outside of the organisation. But it's that space to go and find a solution without fear of that being a failure clever person doesn't know all the answers they just know where to look you know quite often my team will say to me how do you hold all this information in your head it's never more than an internet search away (laughs) don't think I'm walking around with this all in my head what I've done is create my own either mental or actual physical systems to hold and retain the information. And I just draw on it then when I need it, rather than trying to hold it all. And you know, the best thing I've found, the most empowering thing as a leader that I've started to really champion is the phrase, I don't know about that. Rather than trying to be all things to all people and having all the answers, actually there's more credibility in me saying, I don't know. I don't know about that. But if you give me a minute, a day, a week or whatever, I'll come back to you. Because that showcases learning. You know, that in itself is saying to my team, look what I can do. You know, and sometimes we do that journey together. I don't know about that, but look, come and sit here. Let's have a look and see if we can find some. I don't know about that, but my colleague over there, expert in that area, have a chat with them. I think networking in early years is imperative, but I don't think we utilise it to its full strength. Yeah. I think some of the things that you talk about, like it's lovely sitting listening to you actually talking about them and you can really feel 
that like support in the way that you talk about some of the things that you talk about. But if you saw them written down, I think a lot of people would find the base ideas terrifying. That idea that a manager is going to be really direct with you and tell you when you've done something that they don't like or that doesn't work in a setting or that idea that they don't know the answer but they want to find it out with you or that you have to find the solutions and explore them like I can imagine that being terrifying if the environment's not right how do you approach that idea with someone who doesn't know how you work yet and you know what Dawn again Everything that I talk about now has been years in the making, okay? So we didn't just turn up one day, roll our sleeves up and say, right, everybody, this is the new way we're going to work. It was trial and error. But from the very, very concept of this new way of working was me, literally me, stood there saying to my team, right, this is what I've noticed. I am not okay anymore with leading you this way. Something needs to change. Everything I say comes from a place of kindness and love. So please understand that at the very core of everything that I say and do is this deep-rooted desire to make sure my team fulfill their potential. But like you said, that can't come from a book. That can't come from some policy written. That has to come from every single action. It's how we behave when no one's watching, okay? And it takes time. And actually, even my most loyal of follower within my team, this took time. They had to test the water. They tested the water with the little things so that when the big things happened... They were already, they were already kind of on the edge of believing. <laughs> it's almost that. And it is, Dawn, this is all about humans who feel. So there is no logical, if there was a logical, simple, little golden magic nugget where I went, oh, yeah, what it is actually, Dawn, you read this little paragraph here, copy and paste it, send it to your team, and oh, that's it. I'd be a billion grazillionaire by now, wouldn't I? But like I said, the reality is it's having a strategy, have a plan. For my team, we launched this in 2019. We're sitting here now in 2023 and it's as fragilely new as it was back then because it's a journey. This is not a destination. We will never get to there. We will always be heading towards it because everything changes. And I think especially within organisations where maybe there's a higher turnover of staff, that's where consistency is key. And you know what I find the most fascinating, Dawn, is in order to be a really good, high-quality educator of children in 0-5 in the early years, I want leaders and managers and educators to apply that skill to their team. This is just human development. And actually, we're as vulnerable as an adult as we are not 0-5. And actually, you could argue what we now know around kind of neuroscience it's actually probably easier with the 0-5s than it is the adults because the 0-5s are still building those deep level synapse connections whereas we've got them we've got our values we've got our beliefs we're set in our ways and I will always say you know you wouldn't give up on a child who was cruising around the room went to take a first step and fell over you wouldn't be like right actually I've just done a performance review on you and actually no I have decided you will never walk because that first attempt was awful put him back in the crawling corner you just wouldn't do it would you you'd be like Big smiles, help, support, what do you need? Why do we forget 
that with each other. Yeah. One of the things that you're talking about, like adults, it's sometimes harder to, to think that way. Yeah. And obviously adults are carrying around a lifetime of experiences that maybe have taught yeah. them things that aren't necessarily true. Like I didn't believe that physiotherapy would ever work because I'd had physiotherapy and it hadn't done anything. But it turns out just that I hadn't met the right physiotherapist. And when I found the right one that did all of the great things and me life got better because they helped us with the stuff that I actually needed help with. And that great experience changed my mind about how useful physiotherapy could be. You talk about that bit about being direct and giving that feedback. I'm canny soft. And the idea of that would have like really scared me maybe five years ago. But then when I moved to the marketing team at NCFE, I got the best line manager that I've I've ever had. I needed I needed him at the time. He was he was perfect for where I was in my life. But he's very direct. And at first I found that really scary because there was that idea that I could be called out on something at any time. But actually, over the first six months of being in Mark's team, I very quickly realised that I wasn't scared of one-to-ones anymore because there wasn't this point at the end of the month where I was going to go into a room and he was going to review me performance and tell us all the things I'd done wrong. I knew that if I did something wrong, I would already know about it and could then do something about it. And it wasn't going to compound and get worse. And I wasn't going to go along in me happy little bubble thinking that everything was okay just to find out that it wasn't. From there, my confidence grew because I knew that he was really supportive and that he really cared and that he was going to tell us if there was anything that went wrong. And it gave me the confidence to try new things because I knew that if it went wrong, I'd know immediately that it had gone wrong and would have that support to make it right. Did you find similar things like where people were terrified of the idea of getting wrong? And I say, Dawn, as the kind of, I'm seeing myself as the mark in, in, in your analogy there, can I also say it is as uncomfortable for the feedback giver quite often as it is for the feedback receiver because that takes an element of courage as well doesn't it to to say to somebody I actually think it's a gift you know to be able to find your courage because actually does it matter to Mark whether or not you're performing at your very very best or as long as you're doing the job as long as you're doing enough surely that's enough but actually what Mark realized as a fantastic leader was if I give her feedback if I spot check on the journey actually you're going to always strive for greatness i think what's really interesting is a point you've said there about performance review you want to one at the end of the month no information discussed in a performance review should be new news you are waiting until a performance review to talk to somebody about their performance you have missed every single opportunity for that person to improve which completely complements what you just said in early years we have this welfare requirement to provide supervision supervision and performance review are two separate things one is driven by the manager the performance review the other is driven by the employee the supervision so actually in tandem and intertwined in a really effective performance and supervision strategy is an employee who feels motivated, cared for and respected. And as a result, those key drivers allow us to work to our strengths. They actually motivate us to do better because like you said, rather than flapping around like a fish out of water, blissfully unaware of what you're doing to have your have your world disrupted once a month, you knew that by the time that one-to-one came to happen, you did have an opportunity again to maybe touch base about the things that had happened, the feedback that you've been given. 
But feedback is so imperative in the moment. I will say a caveat to that, the art of giving, because it is an art, the art of giving effective feedback isn't about just going around throwing your opinions at people. All right? You've got to set the scene. You've got to set the thing. Hey, I've just noticed something. I'd really like to give you some feedback. Is now a good time? Now, if they say no, you've got to respect that because you need them to be in a great receiving space as you need to be in a good space to give it. Don't name and shame. Don't call them out. Take them to one side. Hey, I just noticed that you did this thing. Can you, you know, talk to me about that? Have a conversation and then say, okay. What I really noticed was, you know, have you thought about doing it this way? Have you thought about this? If it's a positive feedback, you know, say to them, keep doing it. I loved it. Keep it up. If it's something that you need them to change, say to them, well, here's a recommendation. Have you thought about doing it this way? Give it a go and come back to me and let me know how it goes. I'm not saying my way is the way. I'm saying you did this. I saw that. What are your thoughts? How can we make it better? There's no ego in feedback. I don't want to be right. I want to get it right. Can't take the credit for that. It's definitely Steve Jobs. But what a powerful place to work where it's not about one person clambering up over everybody else to be at the top. It's about people holding out an arm, giving a shoulder, putting their hand out. What Mark did for you is what most of us do in early years with the children that we worked with. He scaffolded your journey and your learning in a way where you felt so supported that even if you failed, you knew he'd be there to catch it. And whether that was a catch to stop the knee getting grazed, or with an ice pack and some germaline, because he wasn't quite there in time, but you knew he was still there. And actually, I'm actually well enough just thinking about because what a gift right what a gift to give a workforce every single manager did that to just one person that they directly manage we would be working in a completely different landscape that we do right now and i think that's what's powerful if you're a leader in a setup and maybe you're a little bit frazzled and you're a little bit struggling how do you go about starting to make that change I know you've talked to us before about where you were at the beginning of your leadership journey and some of the the windmilling and the learning that you had to do to to make it work how do you get yourself to a place where you have the brain space to be able to react in those ways to people that maybe at that point you feel should know better. Okay, so point one, this is going to take a lot of holding the mirror up, okay? You are going to go to a place with yourself that you've probably not really ever wanted to go to before. I think the only way to do this is to lead and to showcase accountability, ownership and responsibility, okay? There is no space in this culture for blame, denial, and excuses. Even if you have catastrophically failed, you've got to own that. And for me, it was about identifying what I'm innately good at. What are my strengths? Well, I know, and I know I hide it well, but I'm a naturally positive person. That doesn't mean I'm always happy. That means that I am so convinced that there is always a solution. The solution might be ugly. The solution might be dark, but there is one. In fact, there's more than one. I'm also naturally good at thinking strategically. Do you know what I'm not very good at? Finishing. You want a job going from beginning to end, I will get you started. I will give you the energy, the enthusiasm, the solutions, the tools, and the strategy to get that project flying. Let me know how it goes, because I'm not staying for the long haul. 
So I think journaling is by far one of the most undercredited resources or gifts that you can give yourself as a manager. Journal it, get it all out. Do that Harry Potter thing where you pull out the thoughts from your head and drop them down in paper. Have a plan. Nobody plans to fail. They just fail to plan. And I truly live by that. Even a rubbish plan is better than no plan. You've got to set a course. You don't set a course, how are you going to get anywhere? You're just going to be going round and round in circles, aren't you? You can course correct. You can stop, pause, reflect. Is this the way I want to be going? No, actually, we should have took a left over there. That's fine, but that's better than just aimlessly wandering around. This is Podcash, brought to you by Cash Alumni. If you're enjoying this conversation, please use your podcast app to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. And I also think as well, it's about being open and honest and vulnerable too. You cannot ask a team of people to open up, to be honest and be vulnerable if you're not prepared to do it yourself. However, that does come with a management caveat, I believe, that also there is an element of you need to be the leader. So whilst you need to be open and vulnerable and transparent with your team, you also really cannot turn to your team to share the burden of leading them with. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So if you're you're being open and honest and vulnerable, you can tell the team what it is that you struggle with, but it's probably important to also tell them what you're doing to fix it. Yes. Do you know what? It reminds me of Winston Churchill's Addresses to the Nation during World War II. You know, this was a history lesson, did you? His lessons were always worded around I'm going to give you all of the reasons you know I'm going to be honest with you I'm going to tell you exactly how the situation is I'm not going to sugarcoat it we're not going to have any negative or false positivity I'm just going to honestly tell you what is happening but I'm also going to leave you with reasons why you can be optimistic now that is powerful leadership isn't it that is that there isn't any of that toxic positivity now you think as somebody that is always positive I am so mindful of toxic positivity because I think to some people, my positivity is so discrediting that everything I say is lost in this, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, love. You go back to fairyland where it's all sugar puffs and dandies and you carry on. And I'm like, you know, that's it, it's not that. It's understanding that, you know, we can recognise the severity of a situation, but there is always a reason to be optimistic. Yeah, and I think sometimes that optimism, it goes hand in hand with having a growth mindset. It's not that things can't go wrong, it's that you'll always be able to figure out how to make them right again. Yeah, and you know what? Not only figure out how to make it right, but you don't have to go on your own. You know, like we keep saying, you know, Winnie the Pooh famously said, it is so much friendlier with two. And... Okay, whilst good managers don't seek that support downwards, this is what I said again about a network. Yeah, find yourself a coach. Get yourself a supervisor. Get yourself somebody who is going to support you no matter what. But actually find somebody as well that is going to tell you the truth. Because you don't need a cheerleader. You do a little bit. But actually what you need is somebody who is going to tell you it as it is. Because like you said with Mark, if he hadn't have kept telling you where you were going or what you were doing, you wouldn't have known. You'd have been off course. Yeah, it's, it's really true. I think it's tempting, isn't it, to look for someone who's going to reassure you and tell you the things that you want to hear and that it's all going right. And you think, if I 
if I get that feedback, then I'll be more confident and then I'll go in and I'll superwoman my way around the world and it'll be brilliant. But it's a trap, isn't it? Because the more confident you become in the fact that that's the right way forward, if it's not, or that things are being well received when they're not, there's that risk that that then filters down to everybody else and everyone goes around in their happy little pretend bubble while there's all of this stuff going wrong in the background that is affecting not just everyone's confidence and undermining that underneath because everyone knows when it's not really going well and they're pretending but also that external perception that really matters of it more certain parents and the way that the children feel and 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 that whole backgroundy bit of stuff that you maybe don't say on that day-to-day basis interesting that you mentioned the parents there because you know, again, we can be guilty in early years of giving parents false messages. How's he been saying, oh, yeah, he's been fine. How is that useful? Because actually that child has not been fine. If there has been some challenging things happening, then the parents need to know. You know, it reminds me of a situation where um, I heard about, uh, you know, a story where this child was in the baby room and all the way through the baby room and the toddler room, every time the handover happened, her parents were always told, yeah, she's been fine, she's been fine, she's been fine. Gets to the preschool room. In the preschool room is this amazing educator who doesn't have an issue with having those courageous conversations with parents that will tell the parents just how the child has been. So by the time that the child got to the preschool room, the parents blamed something that had happened because all of a sudden this parent was getting, well, actually this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. It had always been happening. The difference was it took one courageous educator to actually be honest, but then it undermined years of relationship building. And actually at the core of it was a child who sounds a bit harsh, but was actually being failed by the educators. And that's why I believe Share something that the child's done that they've enjoyed. Tell the parents something that they've learned and let the parent know how they can extend that at home. That's useful. Anything else outside of that is a separate conversation for a separate time because that doesn't need to be happening at the door. The world and the wife doesn't need to know that they've been running around today with the pants on the head and wouldn't listen. That's not okay because nobody's going to want to hear feedback in an open environment, even parents, even the children, even us. We are all humans. And I think we forget that, don't we? Yeah. And I think that idea that parents need to know, I think I've never worked in an early year setting um, and I am not a parent, but I have lots of friends who are parents. And I know that there is sometimes that frustration of, well, they're fine at nursery, but they're nightmares at home. It can really knock a parent's confidence if they think that actually it's just them that children are, are, are acting a certain way with or doing certain things with, or vice versa, where actually maybe they're fine at home, but they're really struggling at nursery. Um, and knowing how things are going and the true picture of what's happening during that time, I suppose, not only can be helpful in making things better, but also supporting that parent to be the best parent that they can be. Absolutely. I think partnerships with parents is so underrated, but I think just in that sentence, Dawn, there are so many kind of, gosh, there's a podcast about 10 different things you've just said in that one thing. You know, there is that element around children having a safe space. So when they come to nursery, they may kind of hold in all of their feelings and emotions to fit in so that when they get home, they do decenter. They do kind of let it all out. That's one thing. Maybe, you know, we're talking about a children now that have spent some of them half of their lives in social isolation because of the pandemic, really needing to understand how to navigate the world beyond like their intimate circle. So these are all life lessons, though. 
But I think what has been magnified is I think the media plays a huge part in how parents present now. You are never more than a couple of clicks away from somebody living an A-perfect life with a perfect child and a perfect world. Even if you don't realise it has a negative, it's like a peck, pecking at you, isn't it, constantly. And what I think is really sad is how many parents I see that are benchmarking themselves against these unrealistic expectations when actually they're phenomenal. And like you said, it's about really knowing your parents. It's back to growth mindset as well, is it? You don't get a book. You do not. That pack when you leave hospital with your baby is not the instruction manual. That is just loads of little tiny packets of fairy washing up liquid and (laughs) all these wonderful things that think you're going to desperately need when you leave hospital. I think it would be better to have a packet of biscuits, a bag of tea bags, maybe a little bottle yeah, of Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm um, in no but... way equating parenthood and childcare with being a farmer, but I don't have children. And I used to struggle with things that maybe I wasn't good at and I would, oh, I can't do that. I'll leave it and I'll, I'll go away and, I'll, you know, that, that, that's it done. When you're dealing with real life things, real life people, real life situations, humans, animals grown-ups, children, human beings who have a will of their own, the thing that it tells you to do in the book doesn't necessarily work and you have to fiddle with it and figure out why it's not working and try and put yourself in the shoes of that other being to figure out why is the thing in the book not working because the book says that this will work. What do I need to do to make it fit? Burn the book and go with your gut, that's what I'd say. And I love books. (laughs) But that is so true, isn't it, Dawn? You know, and I think that's where as much as information and research and all of those things are wonderful tools, there are so many factors at play that influence whether that tool is right for you. Stay with farming, you know. Have you got the right tractor in the right field with the right seeds, with the right soil and the right climate? You know, it takes a lot to grow a useful crop. It's the same with the children, isn't it? You know, and it's that's that bit that we underestimate. And I think during the pandemic where interactions with people, with real humans, the bare face, no filter, no Snapchat, no 27 takes to get that one moment right. That's what's missing. That Again, it comes back to that vulnerability. Everybody's putting on a show. Everybody wants you to think that they've got it together. Everyone lives in those little when... boxes in Instagram where you see that yeah. of the things that have gone well. Or you log on to LinkedIn and you see everybody's great news stories about how brilliant they are and all of the fabulous things that they're doing. And the reality is, yes, their moments, how much blood, sweat, tears, tantrums, stress, broken digestive systems have gone into, you know, it reminds me actually, somebody probably about a year or so ago now, kind of new to the childcare scene, asked me the question, you know, you know, what is it, Lucy? You know, what, what, what is that thing that you do to kind of get the exposure? You know, what was that, ma- what was that magic thing that you signed up to? It's called longevity. You know, unfortunately, my quick fix result is one that will take years and years and years of consistency isn't something that comes naturally to me so I have to find another way of being consistent that works with my strengths so for me you know it's about people what do I love most I love people I love connecting I love hearing about people so for me to be consistent I tag it into meeting people if I've got something to achieve I make sure that 
I do it via networks, via people, via human connection, then I can sit at home and fill out a spreadsheet every single week because it's got a, a, one of my strengths at the end of it. <laughs> that makes sense. How do you keep yourself motivated to do all of that stuff? Because it, it, it sounds great, but it also sounds like really hard, full-on work. Yeah, it, for me, it's called balance, but also it's about understanding that balance isn't 50-50, okay? Balance looks to different people as different things. So the way I work, I almost work in surges. So I, you will get the best out. I always joke and say, right, you get the best out of me. Don't put a meeting in my diary before 10 o'clock in the morning. And as much as I always laugh and kind of bring a bit of kind of jovialness to that, I'm actually really, really sincere. You want the best version of me. I need to have done all of the things that I need to do so that I can show up 100% to that. I've got five children, two dogs, two cats. You know, we have a very busy house here. I also like my house to be clean and tidy because it helps me focus with work. So actually by not starting my working day till 10 o'clock, I've been able to put in place all of those things that I need to do. What I've realized is, is that I am a binge worker. So I would much rather do two at a push three long days and then have time to rest and recover than I would working nine to five, say. You know, you say to me, Lucy, you know, work nine to five Monday to Friday, and I can guarantee you my brain shuts off. It's like it's going, nah, that's not what we do. But sit me at my desk from six in the morning till seven at night and have to set a reminder on my phone to drink and go to the loo. I can get more done in that day than I could in a week. And it's about, again, this comes back to strengths. Finding what works for you. And then also, I know, again, that sounds great. I'm privileged to be the master of my own destiny. I have that flexibility to do that. But what I've also then tried to do is reflect that within my setting. So we're open 7.30 till 6. I had some real honest conversations with my team around that. There is no point putting some of that te- some of those team on the 7.30 start. They just can't do it. They're going to be late. They're going to hate it. But get them in at 10 and let them finish at 6. They're loving it. Again, communication. Talk and ask. I think if a lasting remark is always around don't assume you know ask right you you want to work out what is best for that member of staff you and your deputy can chew it chew the fat on it for months on end but unless you go and ask that person you're never going to know same with parents do you want to know what the what your parents want and need or think about you yeah, ask them don't guess ask them actively go out and seek feedback we have a rolling feedback cycle where we i created a qr code that links to a microsoft form other forms are available and we are forever seeking feedback from our parents we don't just do it once or twice a year we do it all the time that qr code goes on the back of artwork it goes on the back of lost property it goes on the nappy bags when we're sending home you know accident pants and things like that because I want to capture what you really think and feel about me in the moment trust me though you know that be careful what you ask for because you might just get an answer I'm not sitting here dawn and saying that sometimes it doesn't sting feedback stings but I can then know exactly what they think and feel yeah and that's a good idea that like not everybody's brain works the same way that ours does so when I first became a line manager back in my early 20s it was really tempting to be like oh this is what works for me so this is what will work for you But figuring out that actually not everybody works that way. Not everybody has trouble switching off at the end of the day. Not everybody gets that task inertia where they're like really into doing this thing. So they'll keep doing that thing. And to to, to figure out how the people that you work with tick and actually what works best for them. 
and navigate that idea that maybe actually maybe that maybe they're trying to impress you by doing things the way that you want them done to figure all of that out was one of I suppose the most useful life lessons I could ever have learned was that not everybody needs the same things as I need not everybody does things the same way that I'm going to do them to figure out what works best for them to me figure out their strengths yeah absolutely and understand people will either be natural relationship builders natural influencers natural kind of exec you know people that get things done executors or they'll be naturally inclined to think strategically but not all of those things and the best teams are those that you know I seek the yin to my yang like I said I'm the one positivity calling you to action getting you up and getting you going Kelsey who runs my nursery today for me the manager there is by far a million times better manager than I ever was And that's because she leads with harmony. So whereas I'm jeering them all up, calling them to action, come on, come on, come on, we've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go. She's running it as a very different, okay, right, how do we create harmony here? Would that harmonious need to keep everybody in that place have got a business off the ground? Maybe not. So again, it's what works, isn't it? It's what works But understanding that each person is so, so, so unique and they bring with them their own talents and their own speciality. And it's by identifying that that uniqueness and celebrating it, that's the game changer. You know, Don Clifton, the, the founder of Strengths, famously quoted, you know, imagine what we could do if instead of focusing on what was wrong with people, we focused on what was right. And I think that's it. You know, we we regularly have this little activity that we do where we write down all of the tasks on a post-it note that we do in a day. Nappy changing, you know, story time, maths, you know, all the things, clearing away, tidying up, writing observations. And we play a game of like love or loathe. And that's how we identify what at the moment is our current strength. Oh, yeah, I love story time. Oh, no, I hate it. Brilliant. <laughs> you can do story time. Oh, I love tidying away. Oh, no. And I know that it sounds simple, but it's effective. Yeah, and I think you're right in that it's really easy to carry around, I suppose, that bias of even recognising which parts of that are work. Because when you like things and when you enjoy them, you might not consider them to be work. So you might forget to write them on your list, you know, like because that's just something that you do as part of your day and it's it's not the work bit. Like that's that's the fun bit. But somebody else might find that to be the most onerous task in their day. And when you hear them read that out on their list of the things they've done, you're like, Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I'm getting paid to do that. That's that's actually work. Yeah. Like my whole day could be made up of that stuff if somebody else doesn't like it. And where people that's can find their it? own their own path and that own thing that that's that bit dawn your whole day could be made up majority of not the whole thing we're not talking 100 percent of the day that's unrealistic but just imagine if you strived for 50 percent of your day to be made up of those things where you're in flow where you love it where you don't want it to end that was me in the classroom. Get me with the children. Get me interacting. To the point, Dawn, this is how it came about in, in its earliest, earliest of days. I kept forgetting snack. I'd get so in it that somebody would come upstairs and be like, right, we're going to start getting ready for lunch. Or they'd come in with the lunch. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, yes, yes, no, it's lunchtime. Gosh, we've been here for like four hours. 
why what I needed then was I needed somebody in my team that was an organiser, that was clock watching, but not in that negative way, that was naturally able to say, okay, first this, then that. Now we do this, now we do that. But also what I needed is somebody in my team that was actually making sure the environment was right. I call them the observer. Who is the one that is going around, making sure that those moments are captured, that they are really noticing when children are in their wow or doing something else? Because if I'm busy with the children interacting at their level and somebody else is making sure, like caretaking, making sure the room's tidy, that the food gets in, that all the care routines still are facilitated to happen, that's that flow. But it's making sure that the right people do the right job. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, do you know what, Lucy? I'm, I'm getting down there to like 75% at the minute, so I can't be the life and soul today. Do you mind if I take a bit of a more caretaker type role and I'll keep the room tidy, I'll clean the loos, I'll make sure the snack is rolling snacks cleared away, I'll change the bin bags. But that's that role I need today. And they'll come back the next and they'll be like, right, no, I'm back. Right, come on, let's go on an adventure. <laughs> that's great. And I think that sounds like a really magical place to be. Before we wrap up, can you tell me a little bit about the book? The book makes it sound like it's got lots of pages. I've designed it to be something that is read for people to read quickly. It's an introduction to how you can empower yourself to lead through the lens of strengths. It gets you to think about all of those things we've talked about today. So what are your strengths? How can I begin to talk about or even know what my strengths are? You've touched on it quite a few times today, and I don't know whether you're aware that you've said it, but strengths are innate. It's that thing that we do without even realising we're doing it. So how do you start to recognize something that is just who you are so it could be leaning into a trusted friend or colleague you know having somebody that's that you're going on this adventure with and like I said it is just designed to have a look at have a quick read of Uh, it's available on my website it's free to download Mm -mm -mm. because actually what's important for me is that people start to embrace this come on this journey with me let me know what it is that you're trying to achieve through the lens of strengths. That's amazing. What we'll do is we'll include all of the links to all of the things in the description for the episode. So if anybody does want to check out the book or come and find the website or have a look at the Academy or any of those things, they'll be able to click on the links when they've listened. Excellent. Is there anything that you wanted to see that you haven't had a chance to see yet? Oh my goodness, Dawn. Just, I think with anything new, Don't dip your toe in the water, feel it being a bit cold and then run away from it. You've either got to dive right in or you've just got to get in, get your shoulders under (laughs) and go with it. None of this changes overnight. It is a commitment to wanting to improve yourself. It takes time. Thanks for listening to Podcash. If you enjoyed it, please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the CPD and Best Practice section of the site. That's cashalumni.org.uk.